We're thankful for this uh, precious opportunity to stand before the Lord's people. We're uh, thankful for this privilege we have to be in the Lord's house. Very thankful for the prayer that's been offered by our brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd ask that each one of you would, would pray for us as we stand before you. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I trust that you do. Turn with me to 2 Timothy, the second epistle of Paul to, to Timothy in chapter 3. Each time we stand before the Lord's people, we, we have a desire to, uh, to stand in, in reverence and fear of God. And also with respect to the Lord's church that belongs to him, that he's purchased with his own blood. God's people. And this morning our, our prayer is that uh, what is on our hearts and minds would be edifying would be information to the mind of the child of God, but also comforting and encouraging at the same time. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at some things in chapter 4, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's encouragement for the last days. Encouragement for the last days. Beginning in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes by inspiration of spirit, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than the lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such. Turn away. The last days. You know, the phrase, the last days, those two words must be kept in, in correct context. Sometimes when we see those two words, last days, it's not referring to the same as when we see it at other times in the Bible. Last days, that's, that's plural, that means more than one day. Last days is a period of time. Sometimes the phrase, those two words, last days, refer to the last dispensation of time on earth. According to Scripture, there's only three dispensations of time on earth. I know we have some Bible students in the world that would tell you there's seven or eight dispensations of time, but the Bible really sets forth three. According to Romans chapter 5 and verse 14, there was a dispensation, a period of time, from Adam unto Moses. That was a period of time that the Bible speaks of. And, and there were children of God there. And there was many events that took place during that dispensation period of time. According to Luke chapter 16 and verse 16. As well as John chapter 1 and verse 17. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 13. There was another dispensation of time. And it was from Moses 
until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came into the world of our viewing. Now, that's not when the Lord began. That's when he came into the world of our viewing. He came into a place where we could see him. I think it was Martha that said of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, which should come into the world. I've illustrated it like this. If my father, Elder Marvin Loudermilk, were here, of course he's gone home to be with the Lord. If he were here and he was outside the building and I asked him to come into the building, he didn't become my dad when he came into the building. He was my dad that came into the building. I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, which should come into the world. The last dispensation of time on earth, which is called the last days, is from Christ's first coming until his second last coming, the last day. Also known as the gospel dispensation. Joel prophesied of this in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, when he said it would come to pass in the last days that my spirit would be poured out upon all flesh. That all flesh is making reference to the Spirit of God being with the Jew and the Gentile alike. You know, before the gospel dispensation, the Jewish people kind of pulled rank on the Gentiles. They had light in their dwellings when the rest of the world would dwell in darkness. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2 that they had an advantage. An advantage. What was it? To them were delivered the oracles or the knowledge of God. But in the gospel dispensation, the Spirit of God in truth is poured out on all flesh, Jew and Gentile alike. And you may say, Brother Ronnie, how do you know that prophecy in Joel chapter 2 is referring to the gospel dispensation these last days? Peter, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, quoted that and quoted that, applying it to this dispensation, the gospel dispensation. So it's just not something I made up. It's something I'm going to Peter, who preached the gospel, and it was Luke that was inspired to write, write it so we could read it, that he applied that text in the book of Joel to this dispensation of time. In this dispensation of time, the gospel dispensation, according to Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2, in those last days, last dispensation of time, It'd be the Lord that would build the mountain of the Lord's house and the top of the mountains and above all hills and all nations should flow unto it. Meaning all types of people all over the world, at every kindred tongue and people nation would flow unto the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not just for one people on the earth, but for children of God in every nation that would humble themselves to the commandments of the Lord. And notice they would flow unto it. You know, water usually flows downhill, right? My dad used to say any rotten log could flow down a river, but it'll take some propulsion to flow up river. They flow unto it. It'll take some effort on our part and help from the Lord to flow unto the house of God. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's not referring to just the last dispensation of time. It's referring to the last days of the last dispensation of time. Sometimes this last days means the last days. I've heard it illustrated like this. There was a man that gave a family a box of homemade jelly, maybe six jars. And they would get up every morning and use the jelly on their biscuits. Finally, they got down to the last jar of that jelly, 
And the man of the house said, look, we've got to the last of this homemade jelly. That's like the last dispensation of time on earth. With the last jar. This is the last of it. But not many days would pass. He'd take a spoon and reach down and say, this is the last of that jelly. That's the last days of the last dispensation of time. You know, each time that he spoke, he spoke truth. It was the last, and it was the last. The gospel dispensation is the last days on earth. But there will be, as I think we're probably in it now, the last days of the last dispensation on earth. Well, how do you know, how do you come to this conclusion, Brother Ronnie? Because of the signs that are, that are given. Turn with me to the gospel of Matthew chapter 16. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 16 and verse 1, the Lord Jesus Christ has already been preaching and the Pharisees and Sadducees came to the Lord tempting him. Now the Pharisee is a separated one. The Pharisee is an individual who really ascribes to righteousness. He thinks a lot of himself. I've heard it illustrated like a Pharisee is a man who thinks he's so right he's about to fall over backwards. A Sadducee is a little different than a Pharisee in what he believes. The Pharisees, they didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels. I heard someone say, that's why they're so sad, you see, because they don't believe in a bodily resurrection. But the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 1 came together. You know why? They had a common enemy. I always remember the world would be willing to come together if they could find a common enemy. You remember Herod and Pontius Pilate were made friends together in one day when they had a common enemy. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. On this day, the Sadducees and Pharisees, they came together because they had a common enemy, and it was Jesus. And they tempted him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Show us a sign. Show me that you are God manifested in perfect humanity. Give us a sign that you are the eternal Son of God. That you are who you say you are. You know, what's so sad about this is the Lord gave them plenty of signs. I mean, they had the entire Old Testament, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that the Lord Jesus Christ was fulfilling. They also had the signs of the miracles, those things that God would do. You remember in Isaiah chapter 35, those things that God would do when He was with us, that's what John knew when he was there in that prison. He knew that Jesus is God because God promised that he would do those miracles when he was here on earth. They had all those signs, but they were so blinded that they couldn't see the signs. Verse 2, Jesus answered and said unto them, He said, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. You see the clear burning sun out in the distance. He said, when it is morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering, meaning there's clouds. Jesus said, oh, ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall no sign be given unto you, unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. What is Jesus saying? You look outside and you can tell the weather. You see the signs in nature to be able to tell the weather. I mean, if you look out and you see a clear burning sun and the sky is red, 
you know, hey, it's going to be good weather. It's clear, but if you see the clouds, you think it's going to be foul weather. It's going to be raining. You can see these signs in the weather, but you cannot see the signs clearly that I am God manifesting perfect humanity. You know, those signs of Jesus' first coming and Him being here on earth are clear to any Bible student. Could I say that the signs of the last days before the Lord appears in the clouds, they're clear to any Bible student. Now the Bible teaches us that no man knoweth the day and the hour of the Lord to come in the clouds. No man knows. Any man that would, that would try to make a guess, he's going to be wrong. Have you ever thought about if a man actually guessed the right day? Guessed it? If he was on a different part of the earth, he guessed it wrong because you got a place on the earth where the day changes, right? There's a place on earth right now it's a different day than it is today for us. Well, let's say if a man guessed the hour. Let's say it's going to happen this hour. Well, he guessed it wrong for another part of the earth because there's different time zones on the earth. You know, sometimes when I'm in Alabama preaching... <laughs> I tell them, you know, when the Lord comes back, I'm going to see him an hour before you do, but I'll send you a text on my phone that you'll see him in one more hour. <laughs> I say that jokingly because we know when the Lord appears in the clouds, every eye shall see him. Now, I can guarantee you without any reservation that the day the Lord appears in the clouds is closer today than it was yesterday. And I'm going to tell you that it's nearer than some people expect because all the signs that's given to us in this chapter are visible. And you might say, well, Brother Ronnie, some of these things have been going on for a long time. Oh, yeah. There's been sin on earth since Adam transgressed God in the garden. But this is not just one sign the Apostle Paul gives. He gives more signs, more signs. And tells us the things that you will see in abundance on the earth before the Lord appears in the clouds. Now when you think about him appearing in the clouds and what the world is going to be nearing that day when the Lord appears to take us home, I mean, the earth is not getting better. It's getting worse. I was in the truck with my son Joshua just a few weeks ago and, and he told me, he said, Daddy, I knew it was going to get worse, but I didn't think it was going to get worse this fast. I mean, it seems like evil has been really accelerated in the last several years. Would you agree? Could I get an amen for that? Amen. we got people today in the world that boast in sin. It's a great thing rather than having shame of sin. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, and of course he writes this to encourage Timothy. And this should cause us to think, but also encourage us concerning what we should be and what we should do as we approach that last day. You know what my hope is? My hope is that I will see the Lord come in the clouds. I'm hoping that the Lord will come in my lifetime, that I will see Him in the clouds. And if He come today, guess what? None of us would die. We'd be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, and we'll see the bodies come out of the grave. We'll all be taken up into the clouds, and we'll be with the Lord forever. But if the Lord does not come in my day, may God help me to preach the truth to prepare the next generation that they would be expecting His coming at any moment. 
According to Revelation 22, that's what we should be as a New Testament church, expecting His coming at any time. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Paul said, Know this also, this know also, that in the last days, the last days of the last dispensation of time, perilous times will come. What does perilous mean? What does it mean? It means dangerous. It's dangerous. The world will become dangerous before we see the Lord in the clouds. That's a sign given to us that we're nearing that time when we'd see him. You know, I remember when I was a kid that there's places you had to go to find danger. I didn't feel so nervous around the place there around the lottery mills. I felt like I had to go a long way to find a lot of bad trouble. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to look too far now to find danger. When you consider the increasing crime rates in our cities here in the United States of America, when you consider the increasing crime rate in, in the world itself, when you consider the disrespect that people would have for one another in this world, I mean, people will hate you just because you disagree with them on one topic. To the point they're willing to destroy your life just, just because you disagree with them on one thing. This war has become dangerous. How many of you feel safe just leaving your house unlocked, your car unlocked, even in your yard here in Union County? Do you feel safe doing that? I used to do that in Lula, Georgia before I married Jennifer. I, I leave my house unlocked and doors unlocked too. You know what happened to me? This, somebody in my neighborhood stole the radio out of my truck. So I started locking my doors. Here in Union County, I, I locked all of my doors. Locked my vehicle in my own driveway. Why don't I just leave them unlocked? I'm afraid. There's places in our cities here in North Carolina I would not be excited to walk through at night, would you? There's places I don't want to be caught at night. Why? Because it's becoming a dangerous world. I mean, this past year we had billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars of damage that was done to cities in the United States of America. I mean, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights teaches we can, you know, protest peaceably. But I didn't read anything about burning a building down. That's not peaceable protest. That's not godly. That's not scriptural to cause damage to someone else's property. But it causes us to live in a dangerous world. Why is it so dangerous? Verse 2, I'll tell you why it's dangerous. Men are lovers of their own selves. Another sign of the last days and the last dispensation of time is men will become lovers of their own selves. What is evidence that people love themselves? They're covetous. You know what's wrong with a covetous man? Covetous sister, covetous woman, they, they love themselves more than anybody else. I deserve it more than you. The sin of covetousness is found in self-love. They're boasters. I don't have anyone else to talk about but me. Is anyone else worthy to hear about than myself? I'm a boaster. This is self-love. Proud. You know where pride comes from? Self-love. You know, the Bible teaches us we should be humble. 
Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2, God said, This is the man that I will look to, him that's of a contrite and humble spirit, and trembleth at my word. Humility's been cast out the door. Pride is on the pinnacle. Blasphemers. Blaspheme against God, blaspheme against the truth. Why? Because I'm more important than God. It should be my way. Why should God tell me how I should live? Disobedient to parents. Children thinking they deserve better parents than what they've got. Why? Because they love themselves. That's why. The Bible teaches us that children should honor their father and mother. My little daughter Sarah, that's the first one of the first verses she learned to quote. I have a video. It says, honor that father and that mother. That's what she said. I asked her, I said, who's the mother? I mean, the Apostle Paul taught us all the way through the book of Colossians that we should be thankful, thankful for what we have. In all things, giving thanks. The reason people are unthankful, they love themselves. Hey, you owed it to me. Unholy. Who said this Bible has a right to tell me I should live? I'll make my own standard. I'll live by my own horn. All of these are evidences of self-love. Do you think self-love is in the world we live in? Do you think this world today is about God or is it about self? Self. I'll challenge you to go into bookstores that will call themselves, now, this is a word I don't use loosely, but I use it and I'm going to put quotations because this is what they say, Christian, Christian bookstores. I challenge you to go in there and see how many books you find that will tell you how to be the best you right now. Five ways to be the best you. The best life that you can enjoy right now. Even in Christian bookstores, the books are about self and you. Most things that are called preaching in this world is, is about man, it's about you, being the best you, you're the best. They got a magazine, I saw it in the airport, it's called Self Magazine. Everything's about self. Getting your award, it's all about me, it's all about me. Self-esteem. Another sign the Apostle Paul said this world would have It'd be without natural affection. Be dangerous, full of self-love, without natural affection. What's natural affection? My little brother David and I, I'm about four years older than him. My daddy would keep us dogs there at the house. We had ten to. Black and tans, blue ticks. David and I, we had a blue tick female. We called her Lady. Boy, I tell you, she's, she's a good dog. I mean, we'd just pull her ears and play with her, have all kinds of fun. Well, lady had some puppies. Had some little blue tick puppies. And she was in that house there, and David and I went in there. We went and looked and saw those puppies, and we pulled one of those puppies out, and that puppy yipped like we heard it. And I want to tell you, that blue tick lady, she declared instant and irreversible non-fellowship with us. I thought she was going to bite David's arm off. Why? Because that was her puppy. And she had natural affection to that puppy. Let me tell you about people that don't have natural affection. We're living in a world since 1973, the United States of America, over 62 
abortions. 62 million, I'm sorry, 62 million abortions. Is that natural affection? When does life begin? Life begins at conception. According to David in Psalms 139, verse 11 and 12, that was him, his heartbeat in his mother's womb. That was him. Well, my heartbeat in my mother's womb, that was me. That was me. That was, I mean, they called me Ronnie when I was born. Mama said they called me Ronnie Benjamin when I was born. Daddy said it's going to be Benjamin. Mama said it's going to be Ronnie Benjamin. So Mama said Ronnie, Daddy said Benjamin. I guess somebody way out there called me Loudermilk. <laughs> I had someone tell me yesterday that was a unique name, Loudermilk. I said, I guess my forefathers were loud talking cow milkers. <laughs> but that was me. That's without natural affection. What else is natural affection? Genesis chapter 1 teaches in creation that God created male and female. Male and female created he, them. Two genders. Adam and Eve came together. First home. God established a home. That's natural affection. According to Romans chapter 1 verse 25, 26, and 27, male with male and female with female, that's not natural. That's without natural affection. That's not even the way man was created. It's against nature itself. And still on law books, it's called sodomy. Why? Because that's what existed in Sodom and Gomorrah in the days of Lot. Sodomy, that's what it's called. There's law books that they call it sodomy. All you got to do is look up, do a little history search. That's what it's called. And God rained down fire and brimstone and destroyed that city because of the sin. That's without natural affection. And those sins today, they're, I mean, they're not in the closet, but it's coming out. It's coming out. You know, they say we're having a coming out. It's coming out. It's coming out of the closet. It's in plain view boasting. You remember in Isaiah chapter 5, those individuals would pull iniquity on cart ropes. That's like a man who would take a huge buck and he'd put it on the hood of his truck or Jeep and drive it around and show it to everybody. Look, I got a 12-pointer. I got a 13-pointer. I don't know who's killed maybe more than that around North Carolina. You know, 10 or 12 point in Georgia is a whopper. (laughs) The people take their sin and parade it and boast in it. Look what I'm doing. Nobody can stop me. That's pulling iniquity on cart ropes. That's a sign of the last days. People be truce breakers. Notice verse 3, truce breakers. That means they can't keep the word. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 5 said it'd be better not to vow than to vow and to not pay. God demands that we would keep the word that we would we, we make. If we give our word, we keep it. Our words should be yay, yay, and nay, nay. That should be enough. People, we should be honest people and people trust us. How many of you remember a time you could walk into a bank and just maybe sign one piece of paper and shake your hand, I'll pay it back? You good? I mean, I remember my daddy borrowing money from my brother to buy a banjo when I was a little kid, and he'd just shake his hand, wrote his name down. That was it. And I remember my daddy, the banker told my daddy, and daddy told mama when he got home, he said, he told me, he said, look here, Mr. Lottermilk, he said, if you won't tell anybody I loaned you money to buy a banjo, I won't tell anybody you borrowed money to buy a banjo. <laughs> You won't do that today. I mean, if you go get money at the bank, you better get ready to sign a big stack of papers. If you go get ready to buy a car, you better get ready to sign a big stack of papers. You get ready to purchase a house. 
You get ready to sign a big stack of papers. Why do you have to have all this collateral? People sign with you because people are truce breakers. They won't keep their word. False accusers. Making accusations against an individual. Not even be true. No truth to it. We live in a world today where television can say an individual is something and the world will believe it whether they got the facts or not. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those things that are good. I mean, regarding to nothing those things that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than the lovers of God. I mean, people would love the things of the world more than the things of God. The things of the world are a lot more important than God's Word to this world, would you agree? The things of the world are a lot more important than the Lord's church. So lovers of pleasures. And you would say, Brother Ryder, we've got a lot of people here at church today. I, I'm happy to see everybody. But it pales in comparison to what goes on out in the world. How about the crowd we have this morning compared to the people at the football game? Or the basketball game? Or down at the beach on vacation? Or up in the mountains on vacation? How would it compare to that? I remember a man named Elder Paul Jones. He was in Kentucky. He also pastored Bethel Church there in Nashville, Tennessee. Someone came to Brother Paul one time. Brother Paul had a great personality. They said, how's the church doing, Brother Paul? He said, well, it's kind of up and down. Up and down? Yeah, it's either up in the mountains or down by the beach. <laughs> but we live in a world where pleasure is more important than the service of God. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Paul said in the last days there's going to be a lot of religion, but it's not about the Lord and truth. Do you know how much religion is in the world today under that umbrella of Christianity? That have, they have no desire to know more about truth. Truth is not important. What's important is this how you make me feel. Turn with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 3, the Apostle Paul said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Meaning they're not going to put up with sound doctrine. This word sound here is not from the Greek teleos, where we derive the word telephone, telegraph. It's from the Greek term hygios, where we derive the word hygiene. What it's saying is people are not going to endure clean doctrine, clean from compromise, clean from worldly influence. They want something of worldly influence. Remember in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 10 when they say, you know, don't speak to us the right things, just give us smooth things, things that will make us feel good about ourselves. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, meaning make me feel good and scratch my ear, make me happy about the way I am. Verse 4, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Lots of religion, but not much about truth. True religion is about truth. True religion is about God. It should be more important to us that we are right than who we're in fellowship with. You got me? Being right. Someone told me once, Brother Ronnie, do you have to be so right? Yes, I want to be right. I know I'm not perfect, but I want to be right, and the way to be right is aligning myself with the Word of God. Because He is the one we should desire to please above all others. 
Verse 6, For this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins and led away with divers' lusts, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul said these are the signs of the last days before we see the Lord in the clouds. Would you agree that we can see all those signs right now? Would you agree with that? That's why I think that time is drawing near, closer and closer to seeing the Lord in the clouds. Hey, I could be wrong. It may be a thousand years from now. When the Lord comes, He comes. But when I think about all these signs and what the Apostle Paul gives us, it's, it's got to be close. Well, what is close? Well, God's time is not like my time. <laughs> close to me may not be close to God, right? Because time doesn't exist with God the way it does with us. But I'm seeing all these signs. All these lights are going off at the same time. Dangerous times. Lovers of their own self times, without natural affection times, truce breaker times, false accusers times, despisers of those things that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than the lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. All these signs. And brothers and sisters, we're living in this time of all these signs. Well, Brother Ronnie, you said this would be encouraging. This is not encouraging. This is depressing. <laughs> wow, just thinking about that all the time would get you down, right? Now, it's going to be encouraging because the Apostle Paul goes from here to telling us what we should be doing during these times. What should we be doing? Paul encouraged Timothy. And it worked for Timothy then and it worked for us now. Verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Continue therein. We should be laboring to continue in the right way. Not going to the right, not going to the left, but going the right way as we have been taught. Not looking for something new, but just holding on to the old way that God has given us. Jeremiah told the children of God to stand in the ways and see and ask for the old path where it is a good way and walk therein. Stay in that way, continue in it, and you'll find rest for your Souls. Jesus told the disciples in Matthew chapter 7 to enter in at the straight gate. That's the narrow gate. It's a narrow way. And few there be that find it. But it doesn't matter how many find it. Listen, I'm not concerned about being in the majority because every time I look in the Bible, the big crowds are always wrong. In the Bible we find it's usually the small crowd that's right. And by the way, if we are with God, it's the big crowd every time because God is big. Continue therein in those things. Our head should be like flint, just going forward no matter what's going on in the world, no matter how it's changing, no matter what it's compromising with, no matter what it's giving into. We should just stay in that way and get focused on the Lord and His Word and keep going forward. And if we have it in the Bible, thus saith the Lord, that's what we should be holding on to. Continuing therein. Persevering in that way. Now, I'm happy to tell you we're preserved in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one person he died for on the cross will be in hell, but we'll all be in glory above. But we who are the children of God that have been taught the truth, we should persevere in this way and not compromise with the world. This morning, Brother Lee told me, it's a new open door, a new step in my life. God bless you, Brother Lee. 
I remember when I was baptized, Brother Lee, and I joined the Lord's Church. It was a new day in my life. But, you know, that's just the start, Brother Lee. And I mentioned, Brother Lee, today's the start, but let us continue therein. Learning more and more about the Lord Jesus Christ until I see Him face to face. Not only should we be continuing in this way, we should be holding on to something. What should we be holding on to? The Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Verse 16. Do you know the Word of God is being attacked? This King James Bible is being attacked every day. I have labored to study my entire ministry to be able to defend this book. And I'm happy to tell you I have got confidence in every page, every word, every mark of punctuation in this book. I've got confidence in it. And I'll stand for this book until my last breath. The King James Bible. I love it. I argued with someone one day. I think we went about two hours. And I finally, I just said, I'll tell you what, let's do. I said, let's just, let's just cut the chase. Let's just get to the bottom line. I said, do you know any group that meets together under the name of Christianity that holds on to there's more than one salvation taught in the Bible and regeneration is by the direct work of the Holy Spirit that doesn't use this King James Bible. I'll ask every one of you, do you know a group that does? There's not one. Those two things are two intricate parts of the mystery of faith. And I don't know anybody that believes that in truth that doesn't use the King James Bible. Bam! Argument over, all right? <laughs> Argument's over. For me, it's over. This King James Bible, I will stand for it. And I'm going to hold on to this Bible. I've got them in my home. This one I preached from. I've been preaching out of it since uh, it was just a few months after I, I started trying to preach. Jennifer bought me this Bible. I actually bought two, and the other one I gave it to Elder Dwayne Hooven. I was in a meeting with him, and I gave Brother Dwayne. I saw him just a few weeks ago, and he still used it too. Brother Dwayne believes in the same Bible I believe. We hold on to this. Why? Because this Bible teaches us. Notice what he said. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's from the Lord. And it's profitable for doctrine, teaching us what's right. For reproof, telling us what's wrong. For correction, when we're wrong, how to get right. And for instruction in righteousness, when we're right, how to stay right. Wow, that'll cover it all, will it not? I like to be told when I'm right. How about you, brothers and sisters? Do you like to hear somebody tell you you're right on salvation by grace? Do you like that? You got to hear somebody preach from Romans chapter 8 just tell you you're right. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tell you you're right. Boy, I love to hear somebody just tell me I'm right on the pew. It makes me so excited. I'm like Elder Ricky Harcrow said, I believe I can storm the gates of hell with two water pistols. <laughs> I don't like it when they tell me when I'm wrong, but this book will tell you when you're wrong. Because this book is always right, and I need to be told when I'm wrong. But not only do I need to be told when I'm wrong, I mean, I need to be told how to get right when I am wrong. This Bible will do that too. It's, it's good for correction. And when I'm right, I need to be told how to stay right, to persevere in that right way. And this book will do that for you too. We should hold on to that book. Third thing, we need to remember our calling. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who should judge the quick and the dead. <laughs> One judgment, two kinds of people. At his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Remember you call him. Now, Timothy was called to preach. 
The Apostle Paul was called to be an apostle. I believe the church at Union Grove is satisfied I was called to preach. You called me as pastor. And you might be on the pew thinking I'm not called to preach, but we all have a calling. By the word of God, we, the children of God in the church, have been called to be saints. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle Paul told them they were called to be saints. You go to the book of Romans chapter 1, they were called to be saints. What does that mean? That means the gospel, the word of God calls on you to live temporally to show what you are eternally in Jesus Christ. That's what it means. The gospel calls on us to live our life here in this world to show the world what we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you in the Lord Jesus Christ? You're holy and without blame, justified before the Father. He died for all of your sins on the cross, not 98% of them, all of them. And you stand before God the Father right now, just and holy and without blame. And I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, by the truth of Scripture, one day you will be there. We have assurance now, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to know for sure that day when you stand before God and it's declared, this is my child, I died for them. Well, if that's what we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, what should we be doing in our life? How should we be living? Well, Brother Ryan, we can just live on any old way, can't we? child of God can live just any old way. He can. He can look like a child of wrath in his life. David said that in Psalms 28. Yeah, they can do it. Not gonna have happiness though. Not gonna have joy in their heart. Maybe something in them that nags at them all the time. The Lord will chase them. I don't know how they'll react to chasing them, but the Lord will chase them. How should we live? We should live in such a way that glorifies God, shows thankfulness to Him, and shows the world what we are in Christ Jesus. All right, Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Apostle Paul said, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren." Ooh, beseech you. The Apostle Paul is willing to beseech people. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he beseeches people. He beseeches them that they would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith they are called. And by the way, that didn't say vacation. That said vocation. The service of God is not about a vacation. It's about work. You have to work to show forth that you're a child of God in this world. You have to overcome. You have to suppress the carnal temptations. You have to suppress the troubles of the devil. You have to suppress the temptations of the world. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16 and verse 16, He said, Since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. That's not talking about them pressing in the doors, you know, and them having to hold them out. No, it's them pressing against their own flesh, the temptations of the devil, and the world, that they would enter into the kingdom of God and show forth, that's the kingdom, the church kingdom, Show forth the glory of God in their life, living in such a way that shows the world what they are in Jesus Christ. We all have that calling. Don't forget this calling. It's a high calling from God. God has called on you, His children. And you say, Brother Ronnie, I want to do it, but I need some motivation. I tell you, if you have some motivation to live godly, you think about the cross and what Jesus done for you on the cross. You think about the crown of thorns he had on his head, just covered in spit, covered in blood. They beat him, drove nails through his hands and feet, whipped his back to ribbons. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, the love of Christ constraineth us, meaning it hiccups me. I'm constrained, I'm ensnared that Jesus Christ, that didn't owe me nothing, nothing, 
have a godly life so that I, even though I fail often, I want to try to be a better person the next day, the next day, and the next day. That's the calling of God. Remember what you've learned. Remember the Word of God. Remember your calling. Remember your best days are in your future. The Apostle Paul, when he penned this, he was in prison. The Apostle Paul knows he's going to lose his life. Notice what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. He said, for I am now ready to be offered. I'm ready to die. The time of my departure is at hand. I love that word departure, don't you? That's going from one place to another. Paul said, they, gonna, they, gonna, they may take my head, but my soul and spirit will go from this place in the glory above to be with my Savior. Paul said, I fought a good fight. Wow. Wouldn't you like to say at the end of your days, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I fulfilled what God called me to do. I have kept the faith. I've kept the truth. I labored not to deviate to the left or the right. I stood for what was right. And then he said in verse 8, henceforth. Notice that didn't say therefore. <laughs> you know, if it said therefore, it would be saying what he's done has caused him to earn what he's about to say. It didn't say therefore. It said henceforth, henceforth. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Who's going to love his appearing? Those that love him. Who love him? Those he loves. We love him because he first loved us. When we get to heaven, this crown here is not referring to me having a crown. And my crown being bigger than your crown, Brother Field, that's not what it's referring to. You know, if, if any person in this building has a crown larger than the rest of the folks in this building, then you'll be pulling rank over the other people, right? In heaven. The Bible says that we're joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning whatever his is ours, and whatever's ours is his. So if you've got a bigger crown in heaven than I got, you got a bigger crown Jesus has got. Somebody needs to amen that, okay? I didn't hear it. Amen. <laughs> when we get to heaven, we're all going to be the same. So this is not referring to, about a, to a physical crown we'll have when we get to heaven. It's referring to, about, to our experience when we get to heaven. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You know, when someone is in a place of, of government charge... And they do something during their tenure, their time in government charge, and it's, it's like the best thing they did. It's, it's often known as the, the crown of their presidency. The crown is their effort as governor. It's the, it's the pinnacle of what they did at the top. And the Apostle Paul told the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, that they were his crown, meaning they were the pinnacle of his ministry. Wow. Isn't that amazing, that church? The Apostle Paul would say, you know, of all the preaching I've done and all the time I've spent fellowship. My time with you is the crown of my experience in preaching the gospel. <laughs> Isn't that precious? When the Apostle Paul said the Lord's going to give me a crown, what he's saying is he's going to give me the pinnacle of my experience. Meaning your best days are in your future, dear child of God. The best days are not now. Now this is as good as it gets on this earth. 
And this is the good old days on earth. You know, someone says, I remember the good old days. This is the good old days in the kingdom of God. Because it never gets bad in the kingdom of God. I appreciate Brother Kim Honeycutt. A few weeks ago we had communion. Brother Kim, he told me we was all in the spirit rejoicing in the Lord. Brother Kim said, this is it. I said, amen. This is it. And I started repeating that to everybody I saw. This is it. I went by Brother C.W. and Brother Brad. I said, this is it. This is the kingdom of God. We're enjoying it. But we got something better than this in our future. The only way it gets better than this is there. And that's going to be the pinnacle of our experience. Can you just imagine the rest and happiness we're going to have there? I mean, I'm happy in the kingdom of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm satisfied with the church. But praise God, I'm going to be satisfied when I get to heaven with my environment, with me, with everything. And as I've said many times, there's no roads out to heaven. When everybody gets there, they stay there, okay? And it'll be just like they got there when they've been there 10,000 years. You know, we sing that amazing grace when we've been there 10,000 years. You know, we could say it 10 million. <laughs> We've been there 10 million years, Brother Hall. Right shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. we got that in our future. And when we think about that being our future, you know, just tolerate this for a little while, I think we'll be all right. We're going to be okay because we know the, the end. And me just thinking about the end and what it's going to be, boy, I tell you, that encourages me to fight right now even more and more. You know why? It's already been won. It's already been won. We got days of rest, days of happiness, and our future. Woo, and it's going to be good. I told someone it's going to be like the best Primitive Baptist meeting you've ever been in, only better. Everybody singing, everybody praising Jesus Christ, everybody being happy, no fears, no worry, no more death, no more sadness, no more frowns. And you know what? While I'm here in this world in these last days, I want to be around some people that believe that. That. That's what I want to be around. I want to be identified with people that believe that, that believe that truth, that want to stand up for what's right and continue there, and that want to hold on to the Word of God, that remember that we've got a calling to live godly in this world, and that believe we've got our best days in our future because God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient. It was sufficient enough to feed the 5,000 sided women and children. It was sufficient to help the Apostle Paul. Praise God, it's sufficient to help David. It's sufficient to get all the souls and spirits home to heaven that's already, and it's going to be sufficient to take us all home to glory, and we'll be there forever and ever and ever and ever. May God rest the blessings of our prayer.